Thank you for tuning into the Freedom Church podcast, where you can catch our Sunday sermon on demand at any time. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on any of the content that's shared every week at our local church in Round Rock, Texas. Here's this week's sermon. Good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing all right. Welcome to all those watching online and those here on site this morning. We're so glad you chose to spend this Sunday morning with us. I know we're facing some uh, very challenging times and some times of uncertainty. And I just want to let you know that Jennifer and I are praying for you. You've been in our prayers this week. And if you need anything, anything at all, please email me at Benito at FreedomChurchRR.com. And I'll, man, I love to help you out in prayer, whether you might need groceries, whatever it is. We love you. This is your home church. And we, man, are so glad you're part of our church family. But to start off this morning, I, I want to give out some gift cards uh, to Wise Guys Hot Dogs here in Round Rock. How many guys, how many hot dog lovers do we have in the house right here? Do we have a lot of hot dog lovers? Uh, if, if you're a hot dog lover, man, and you want to win $20 worth of hot dogs real quick, man, the first person to raise their hand and tell me what I preached about last week will get these gift cards. What I preached about last week, man, this is going to hurt my feelings. Okay, Mark, what... Okay, yeah, that's here, man. You and Heidi enjoy a date night with us at Wise Guys Hot Dogs. You know? I mean, I was getting worried right there. I'm like, oh, Lord, 25, 30 hours in a message, and it's like, oh, crickets right now. I'm just kidding. I love you guys. I love you guys. I know you listen sometimes. <laughs> See, our country can eat them some hot dogs, can't they? You know, on the 4th of July, check this out, Americans consume 150 million hot dogs. That's enough hot dogs from here to be lined up all the way to Sydney, Australia. And every year, I don't know if you've seen it on ESPN, they have this hot dog eating contest. And there's actually a hot dog world champion. His name is Kobayashi. How many of you guys have heard of this guy? Kobayashi, can, and he, man, he's not a big guy. This guy has the world record. He ate 50 hot dogs in 12 minutes. But have you ever considered what hot dogs are made of? If you, look at the, if you look at the package, the first component is mechanically separated turkey. This is how the USDA defines it. A paste-like, batter-like poultry product manufactured by turkey bones with attached edible tissue through a sieve under high pressure. A process called advanced meat recovery. Mmm, sounds yummy, those hot dogs, you know. Uh, the, the ingredients for hot dogs, this is what they include. Corn syrup, beef, salt, sodium phosphate, sodium nitrate, and multi maltodextrin. Hey, Heidi, Mark, I hope you enjoy the maltodextrin and all the sodium phosphate as you enjoy hot dogs at Wise Guys on that date. But this morning, what if I say, I got salt grass, a filet mignon for your wife, and a filet mignon for you, a date night. Now you're like, hey, I'm listening. You're thinking, what has Pastor B preached on the last couple days? Okay, here's the reality. This is how you win this. The first person to tell me the first five books of the Bible are going to win this. What are the first five books of the Bible? Okay, Gene? 
Okay, hey, you guys enjoy a steak house, ribeye, filet mignon, whatever that is. Mark, I think he got slighted just a little bit with that. <laughs> yeah, they do have burgers there. So this morning, I, I want to ask you a simple question. Do you have hot dog faith or do you have steak faith? Many Americans build their faith like a cheap hot dog. They take a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and they call it, they come up with a concoction of faith that's not really Christian at all. And that's what we're going to see in our story this morning as we begin our new series, Untold Stories of the Bible. And we're going to look at the story of Jephthah. How many of you guys have heard of Jephthah? I bet most people here have never heard his story. I've never actually heard a message on him before. His story is not told in Sunday school or it's not recorded in children's books. And I've never told my daughters this Bible story before they go to bed because if I do tell them this Bible story, they will be having nightmares all night long. Because this is simply, it's a terrible story. It leaves you feeling deeply unsettled and disturbed and asking the question, why? Yet, as believers, we believe this, that all scriptures God breathed. And every story has a message for us. And I believe this story in particular for these times in this day has a powerful message for us. So, in the story of Jephthah, you're going to see this. I've shared it before. He's got a little bit of the Christian faith mixed with a whole lot of the sodium nitrate, the maltodextrin. And he produces this unhealthy faith, a hot dog faith that's unhealthy for him. And is unhealthy for everyone in his family. And his story is found in Judges chapter 11. In the book of Judges, let me give you a little bit of background. God's chosen people, they've turned away from God. And they're embracing false idols and pagan activities. They're turning away from the very word of God. And the theme verse that's repeated throughout the book of Judges is this. It says, in those days there was no king in Israel. And each man did what was right in his own eyes. And this is where we come to Judges 11 verse 1. It says this, now Jephthah was a mighty warrior, but I want you to underline that. He was the son of a prostitute. Gileab, Jephthah's father, had many other sons. So imagine this. One day, Gileab is out working, and he comes home, and he's coming home. He's not coming home with a puppy from the pound. He's coming home with a kid. Can you imagine his wife and his sons are greeting him, and they're like, oh, excited. Where'd you get the kid? And it was an encounter of a moment of unfaithfulness. Can you imagine the awkward conversation that came up with that? And, and, and you could see the tension in the home because of this. Verse 2, and when his wife's son grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said, you should have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of a prostitute. And I want to let you know, according to Jewish customs, this prostitute, most scholars say, was an Ishmaelite. Because Jewish women were never involved, especially during these times, in prostitution. So not only was he a, a, a son of a prostitute, but he was also a half-Jew. So Jew, Jephthah grew up with this tension in the home. Can you imagine what it was like growing up, being looked upon by your brothers and your mom? On Christmas, you got the smallest gift. Everybody got all these incredible toys. You got like, what? Your mom is giving out Christmas dinner, Thanksgiving dinner. She gives big portions to all your brothers. You get the smallest portion. You were just a constant reminder of your father's sin and unfaithfulness. Yet this environment shapes Jephthah. He becomes a tough man, a hardened man in the process. He begins to be a warrior-like type of man. And then this, look at verse 3. Then Jephthah fled 
from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. And I want you to look at this. Worthless fellows collected around Jephthah. It gets so bad in the home that Jephthah is driven out of the household by his brothers. But here's the thing about Jephthah. He's a natural leader. He flees far away from the land. And Bible says, the Bible says, I like the term, worthless fellows, these thugs gather around him and he becomes this crime boss this mobster he's kind of like the al capone of ancient israel he's like the sons of anarchy he has this big bad gang everywhere he goes he gets this reputation you don't mess with jephthah if you mess with jephthah you're going to be floating in the river he'll cut you up this kind of the reputation that he has so he kind of lives as this mobster gangster in israel but look what happens in verse four but after a time the Ammonites, the enemies of Israel, made war against Israel. And so the elders of Gilead went to bring Jephthah back and said to him, Come be our leader that we may fight against the Ammonites. His brothers are like, We need your help. Please help us. Like, like this is interesting. Man, and, and he says, You just, you don't really like me. You don't want to be. Look at his, his conversation in verse 7. But Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, Did you not hate me? Did you not drive me out of my father's house? Why have you come to me now? He says, you just want to use me. Man, now that you're in trouble, you don't care about me. In verse 8, he says, yeah, no, no, no. We're really sorry. We should have treated you bad. We should have let you get our better toys. We should have given you the best, biggest portion of Thanksgiving. And we want you to come back, and we want you to be our leader. I want you to understand this. That they rather be led by their brother than be led by their enemies. And you're going to see the tie-in of the gospel later on as we see this. So Jephthah agrees and he says, I'm taking my talents back to Israel. I'm coming home. At first, to fight the Ammonites, he tries diplomacy. He tries to tell them, talk it over with them. He tries a peaceful approach. But when the Ammonites don't want to handle it peacefully... He starts talking some serious trash. And I don't got time to go through it. He can read it in verse 24. He says, this is not your land. This has always been on our land. And the Ammonites, so you know, our God, Chemosh, he gave us this land. This land belongs to us. And Jephthah says, no, it's our land. God gave us this land. He says, no, Chemosh, our God gave it to us. And Jephthah makes this big smack talk. If your God is so big and bad, if Chemosh really gave you this land, why don't you come over here and try to get the land? Because I'm standing on it. It's going to be on like Donkey Kong. Bring it. You could, the Gangster in Jephthah kind of comes out in that moment. And he says, let's get ready to rumble. In verse 30, look what happens. And Jephthah made, this is where I would, if you ever circle, underline, highlight, smiley face, a, ver, a word, it's this word. Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. And he said, if you will give the Ammonites into my hand, whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me when I return in peace, from the Ammonites shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up for a burnt offering. And it's interesting that Jephthah, he has this relationship with God. He has this kind of connection to God. And, and, and it's, he doesn't even want to go out in this battle in his own strength. He acknowledges God, and he makes a vow. But let me tell you about vows. Vows weren't compulsory in that day. They were made voluntarily. Vows were not required by Jewish law. This is very important to understand. Vows were made in that day by pagan religions out of superstition to get the gods on their side. So vows were not something that the God of Israel asked people to do. So basically, Jephthah makes this bargain with God. And we've all done this. Like, God, if you get me out of this mess, have you been in trouble? Lord, I'll serve you all the rest of the days of my life. I'll never miss church again. Please get me out of this. 
I've heard people say, oh, Lord, if you allow me to win the lottery, I'm going to give half of that to missions and to the church. Lord, just give me the money to win the lottery. Like we all sometime at one time or another have made a bargain with God. And that's what Jephthah is doing. He's making this bargain with God. In verse 32, so Jephthah crossed over to the Ammonites to fight against them. And look at this. The Lord gave them into his hands. God gave him the victory. And now verse 34. This is where the story gets crazy. Now it seems normal. Now it seems like, okay, no big deal, Pastor B. I want to tell my kid this Bible story. This is where you're going to jump off the train and not tell your kid this Bible story. This is where it goes. Verse 34. And Jephthah came to his home in Mizpah. And behold, the word behold, thereby the Jewish writers is going to tell us, look what's happening. Stop. Pause. What's going on? His daughter came out to meet him with tambourines and with dances. And she was his only child. Remember the vow that he made? The first thing that comes out of the house, I'll give to you as a burnt offering. Verse 35. And as soon as he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter! For I have opened my mouth to the Lord and I cannot take back my vow. Like, okay, come back next Sunday and we'll talk about it. Like, no, like what happened? Like, how, how do you explain that? Like, right? Like, what is he going to do? Dads, especially girl dads, can you imagine what Jephthah felt? His only daughter came to meet him. As a young father, one of the highlights of my day, I used to love to come home. Because I loved, loved to go out, open the door, and Alana and Avea, they would just scream my name. They'd say, Daddy, Daddy. And then they would come, they would hug my leg. And it was the highlight of my day. I, I missed those moments. Those were the days to be greeted by your daughter. There's just something about a connection between a daddy and his daughter. From the moment I saw my both, girl, both my girls and I, their little brown eyes met my big old brown eyes, they had me wrapped around their little finger. And they grew up so fast. I remember their first words, their first steps. I remember their first boo-boo. I remember their first day of school. I remember every daddy-daughter date we've ever been on. And right now is kind of an emotional time for me because it's hard to believe my oldest daughter is getting ready to go to college in just six weeks. Barring uh, colleges open. It, uh, man, but I'm having a hard time mentally processing it, honestly. Like, when I was, a, when I was, when my daughter was about 9, 10 years old, Alana, I would always get up at night and I would have this dream where I'd wake up and she was grown and she was in the house no more. And I'm like, oh, she's still a little baby. I'd go look at her and I'd go kiss her. And over the last, especially the last month, I've had a dream at least once a week where I wake up and Alana's not in the house anymore. Like, she's in college. And I'm like, man, and like, she's going to be there in six weeks. Ambi, you know the feeling. You've, you've done that before. It's a difficult challenge. And, and, and you know what? She's off to college. And I'm pretty sure come, come August, my allergies are really going to be messing with me. You know, especially it's going to be a bad allergy season for Benito and for Jennifer. I couldn't ever, ever imagine sacrificing one of my daughters. Yet this is the position that Jephthah finds himself in. Verse 36. And she said to my father, you have opened your mouth to the Lord. So do to me according. Verse 37. So she said to her father, let this thing be done for me first. Leave me alone for two months that I may go up and down on the mountains and weep for my virginity. I and my companions. Like, 
She said, man, she, she's like every other person. She wants to get married. She wants to have kids. She, and she's going to miss out on life. And, and, and she says, let me just weep and mourn that I'm not going to be able to have a normal life. So she says, okay. He says, go. And there she was. She wept. She cried. I remember growing up, like, I would pray, Lord, I want you to come back. But please don't come back till you get, get married. I want to get married before you come back. Lord, because I wanted to be a dad. I wanted to get married. I was waiting till being married to do the boomba woomba. I wanted to do the boomba woomba. There was a lot of different things that were rolling on there. So, like, oh, man, but can you imagine the pain that she's feeling through this? And the, the verse 39, at the end of two months, she returned to her father who did to her according to his vow. Like what? You're like, you're thinking he's going to like change his mind and not kill her? He killed her. Every once in a while, you'll come across a really weird story in the Bible, and we're going to do this over the next few weeks. And this is one of them. It's kind of like Ripley's Believe It or Not. There's some really weird things in Ripley's Believe It or Not website. Like, like for example, I was reading it in Cambodia. They know there was a cow that was taken into custody and arrested by the police because it was wandering in traffic and causing accidents. They said, holy cow. No. Dad joke. The Bible has many Believe It or Not stories. And this is one of them. Like, how do you even make sense of this story? Sometimes commentators try to soften the blow here. And they say this. First, this is one thing they say. Well, Jephthah must have expected an animal to come out first. But animals would have never been kept in the house. And the word greet in verse 31 in the Hebrew definitely demote, denotes to a human encounter. Or the second thing they'll say was Jephthah didn't actually kill his daughter. Sacrificing her meant she just had to stay unmarried for the rest of her life. Then why the two months hiatus? And why did she go out and mourn? That makes no sense. He obviously intended to carry out for human sacrifice. And he just expected the first one out of the house not to be one of his many servants and not his daughter. Or maybe one of the people that are fighting him in the war. Plus, all the Jewish and early church scholars believe he sacrificed his dollar. It wasn't until the 14th, 15th century that people even had other positions to this particular story. So why? Like why? Why would God allow this? Why did this take place? Like, this is the big question. If this happened, why? Aren't you perplexed right now? Every once in a while, you read a Bible story, and you're like, why? this doesn't make sense. Why? Two reasons. Let me write if you're taking notes. First reason is this. This is how you pleased pagan, God and pagan gods in those days. You sacrificed to pagan gods to gain their favor. And the greater the sacrifice, the greater the favor you would earn from your God. See, let me be clear. God never put vows as a requirement to get his attention or favor. In fact, he downright forbids human sacrifices. Deuteronomy 18.10 says this. There shall be not found among you anyone who burns his son or daughter as a sacrifice. I want you to understand this. What Jephthah did was against the very word of God. He had forgotten the word of God. He had gotten away from the word of God. And when we get away from the word of God, let me tell you, church, we get in trouble and we do all kinds of atrocities in the name of God. People say, what about Abraham? He was told to sacrifice his son. Well, that was a test of faith and obedience. And I want you to understand this. When God was showing Abraham that he was not like the other gods. The other gods demanded child sacrifice. God, that's why Abraham was so willing to do it. It was part of the culture. God said, Abraham, I'm not like other gods. I'm not going to ask you for your son. But guess what? One day I'll give you my son to die for you. 
totally different. Here's what happened. Jephthah has mixed all kinds of the sodium phosphates and the poultry paste into his faith. And he has this hot dog faith, not faith in the stake of God's word. Second thing about Jephthah, why he did this, was he was desensitized to violence in the culture around him. This is the way he just did things. Human life was cheap. It was marginalized. It was not valued like the word of God. So he was so caught up in the culture. So I want to give you four quickly life-giving lessons that we get from the story of Jephthah that are so relevant to us today. Here's the first lesson. First one is this. We are far more influenced by our culture than we can even realize. Jephthah had this faith that looked like it was Christian, but it wasn't Christian at all. And the big question that we need to ask is this. We need to ask ourselves, in what area of our life do we have hot dog faith? See, when it comes to culture, there's really three things we can do. We can assimilate into culture. We can isolate from culture. or We can recreate culture according to God's word. Those are the three options we have as Christians. And when we assimilate into culture, when we just absorb the values of our culture... And we don't even know we're absorbing it, but we absorb it on how we think about romance and marriage and money and success and fulfillment in life. And our ideas are more shaped by culture and social media and Hollywood by the word of God. It's kind of like this illustration. This is what we do. We're kind of like the sponge. And this is what we do with culture. We get in a culture and culture just drips into us. And we just get so soaked into the culture that it just soaks into us. And that's what many Christians do. They're so soaked into the culture that there's no difference. And also, at the end of that, that's we assimilate into culture. But another thing we can do is we can isolate. This is what another, a lot of Christians do. Oh, things are getting so bad. I can hardly wait for Jesus to come back. He's going to rapture us out of this trailer park called earth. I can be with him forever. So we have this hurricane mentality when it comes to Christianity. Let's just put the boards up. Let's hide away. Let's suck our thumbs. God doesn't call us to live on the defensive either. He doesn't call us just to be intimidated culture. He calls us to recreate culture. When it comes to culture, we shouldn't be absorbed. We shouldn't hide away. But we should splash culture. I wanted to be a bigger splash to make a bigger thing. I don't want to break it, but you get the point. He wants us to make a difference when it comes to culture. So how do we do that? Through God's word. God's word will give us the ability to discern what's wrong and right. Psalms 19.5 says this. How can a young man keep his way pure? By taking heed according to your word, God. Can I pastor you for a moment, Freedom Church? I'm really worried right now about our culture. I'm really worried about this, especially this woke culture that has infiltrated our culture and it's infiltrating our church. People think that they're woke and they have this big understanding because they read a certain book, they listen to a certain podcast. And let me tell you, there are political parties, social ideologies, and Marxist theories that are being pushed in our day like never before that are unbiblical. And we are only truly work by woke and understand things by God's living word of God. Paul said this, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be open to see the gospel. He prays that in Ephesians 1. He says that the carnal mind cannot understand the things of God. That we only have a clear, sensible th thinking when we come alive with the word of God. The word of God is the only thing that can sustain us. Is the only thing that can lead us. Is the only thing that can guide us in this day. Nothing else. It's the only way it's ever been from culture to culture from nation to nation God's word has always been our bedrock 
And when we get away from it, we're in trouble. It's the only thing that makes us alive and really awoke in life. Hebrews said it like this. It's living and active. So it's not the ideologies or the opinions of others. So here's a great question I want to ask you, a challenging question. Do you spend more time listening to the right woke thinkers like Ben Shapiro and Sean Hannity or the left woke thinkers like Anderson Cooper and Rachel Maddow than you do reading, listening, and meditating the Word of God? People spend way more time listening to ideologies during this time than they do God's Word. And we think we're going to make it out of this culture. Who do you spend more time in? We can spend an hour listening to a podcast of somebody's thoughts and ideas, but we get burnt out in three minutes of listening to the Bible app. Ouch. Here's another question. What are you sharing more right now? Your political views or the gospel? What are you sharing more? Whatever's inside of you, you're sharing more. Look at your Facebook page. Look at your conversations. See, we are called to share the gospel. Uh, and I'm not, sharing, I'm not saying we shouldn't be involved in our culture, in the political outcomes. Let me tell you very simply, we are the salt and the light of the world. But I'm saying this, that God's word is our guide and we should be saved by God's word. And then God's word will shape everything else out. If we allow anything else to be shaping our lives, we will be in trouble. And we will have a hot dog faith and it will cause great pain to all those around us. Second thing is this. Our idolatry has devastating effects on those around us. The impurity of Jephthah's faith cost him his own daughter. And we shake our heads in bewilderment. And we wonder, how could he have done such a dumb thing? What a moron. Yet we commit similar acts in a, with our idols and we don't even think twice in our culture. It's what C.S. Lewis has called chronological snobbery. So easy to look at somebody else's sin in another time, but be dead to our own sin in our own time. Let me give you some examples in our day how our idolatry is destroying our children. A man and a woman can tear apart their family and devastate their kids forever because they finally realize they married the wrong person and they really need to try and feel in love and they need to be true to themselves and they haven't been, been true to themselves all their lives and they want to just be true to themselves and who cares if it costs them their kids. That's why one out of every three children grow up in a single parent home and only a fraction of those are the result of the death of a parent. Most are because at least one parent said their desires are more important than what's best for their family. We say we would never sacrifice our kids, yet people do it all the time. We just call it differently. We're much more sophisticated. We call it Planned Parenthood. Many people sacrifice their kids on the altar of pleasure and convenience. How about pornography? It creates a sex industry where the average girl who enters into it is 13 years old. Our lust has created this false image for a perfect image for girls. And what it's caused, 30 million people, mostly teenage girls, now have been diagnosed with anorexia and bulimia because we've exalted with lust this perfect figure and we are destroying our girls. Idols kill, they kill Jephthah's daughters. And let me tell you, Freedom Church, if we don't watch it, they're killing our daughters. Or in another sphere, a man can neglect his wife and kids and go ahead and get ahead in his career. And we say it's just what it takes to survive in business. You'll never be successful until you work till nine every night and you don't take days off. Can I tell you, I have been a part of that culture sometimes just to be ahead in ministry and be successful 
Remember one church in particular where I used to work at? I worked every day, never took a day off for six months straight. Then one day, we got snowed in. I couldn't go to the office. And we played outside. And I still remember the day. I'm dry, um, we're making like a little slide down the house. And Alana says, Daddy, this is the bestest day ever. And I said, why, babe? Because you're here. And I realized that he, as a pastor, you could sacrifice your kids on the altar of success and relevance. I'm not the only one. It's easy for us to justify our sacrifice. We put a whole lot on the altar of success and romance and fulfillment. Let me just tell you this. We're not as sophisticated as we think we are. Gee, this, I thought it was going to be a funner story than this, right? Some heavy stuff with the Bible. Number three, God's blessing in one area of our life doesn't mean he's pleased with every area of the life. Just because God blessed Jephthah as a mighty warrior wasn't mean that every area in his life was honoring to God. God's interested in presenting our whole body as a living sacrifice according to Romans 12.1. Kind of look, it's like this. It's like the Christian who decides to take changes and lose weight and said, I'm going to eat right. I'm going to eat less. I'm going to be more self-controlled. And I've done that. I've been moments when I've been up and down in my weight and I start losing weight. And then I start looking at other people. I wonder why they're not losing weight too. Have you ever been there? You're like, right. You're like doing weight. You're doing better. And what happens is we, could, we, say, we, could, we trade our sins in. Okay, I'm more self-controlled, but oh, Lord, forgive me because I'm way more self-righteous too. So we need to pray God's word. Psalms 119 says, oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. How do we apply this? We should be as zealous for God to work in us as we are for him to work through us. The final lesson is this. God's grace is a hard thing to grasp. Martin Luther said this. We're hard wired for works righteousness. That means this, that our hearts Always forget the good news of the gospel and constantly, naturally try to earn God's favor. How many of you guys are like that? I am. Something I struggle with. I've been walking with God 25 years. 20 years preaching. And this is my biggest problem. Everybody struggles with it differently. So let me tell you how I struggle with it. Sometimes this affects me when I get up to preach. I'm thinking, God, this is going to be a great Sunday. I had a great week. I prayed every day. I fasted. I shared my faith with my neighbor at HEB four times. I was a good husband. I gave a special offering, God. I read a book. I'm starting to, I'm starting to write a book. Lord, it's a good day. And like, man, and then I'm getting ready. Lord, I thank you. You're going to be with us. I feel his presence. It's my emotions are going crazy. I'm like, man, I'm ready to preach. God's really with me today. Well, then I have a bad week because everybody has a bad week. And I was really busy. I couldn't pray like I wanted to. I ignored my neighbor because I didn't want to talk to them because I had a lot to do. Amen. How many of you guys say I'm there? We're human. I was rude to my wife. I kicked the dog. Hey, maybe I've never kicked the dog, but I felt like kicking the dog many times. Some of you guys are judging me and kicking the dog. I just wasn't a good person. I've had days where I just wasn't, and this is what I do. I'm a works righteousness guy. I said, oh, Lord, I, I didn't do good this week, but I really need you to bless this message because people really need to hear it. So next week, I'm going to fast more. I promise I'm going to get back in you. I'm really going to focus back again. Like that's going to earn God's favor. And you know what I've learned to pray is this, God, there's nothing that I can do to make you love me more. 
And there's nothing I can do to make me love you less. So, Lord, let me tell you about my week. This is what I say about my week now. Lord, I want to remind you what I did. This week I walked on water. I fasted 40 days in the wilderness. And Satan came to tempt me three times. I resisted him every single time. I didn't sin one time this week, Lord. In fact, Lord, the week got so bad, they nailed me to a cross. And while I was on the cross, I just looked at the people and I said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You're like, you didn't do that. Obviously, I didn't do that. But that's Jesus' record that was given as a gift to me. And as a Christian, I'm in Christ. And I preach under the power of Christ. And you parent under the power of Christ. And you live under the power of Christ. Not your righteousness. See, the only thing that we contributed to our salvation was the sin that made it necessary. It was all a work of God. Grace is this. God's riches at Christ's expense. The law says do, but it's never done. Not even when you're giving up your own daughter. The gospel says believe. And it's already done because of what Jesus did. And in the story of Jephthah, I want you to see the gospel. His life points us to Christ. See, Jesus is the true and better Jephthah. Like Jephthah, he was driven out from his brothers. He was despised and rejected by men. Yes, he was part of his brothers, but he was part from a different origin. He was fully man and fully God. But unlike Jephthah, we, don't, we didn't have to call him back to help us. He ran back to help us. See, when our oppressor Satan was coming, he came to our defense. And yet he came to rule over us because our oppressor would never rule over us. Because when we submit to the rule of Christ, we are fully free forever. See, Jephthah believed that he could only find favor with God through extreme sacrifice. Jesus offered favor with God as a gift as he is the one who provided the extreme sacrifice of the cross. See, I don't have to offer my life. I don't have to offer my daughter's life. I don't have to earn God's favor. Jesus did it on the cross for me. He lived the life I should have lived and he died the death I should have died. That's the gospel. And that's the stake of Christianity. The grace of God received as a gift. I love First Peter. And Peter calls the gospel the meat of Christianity, and he calls it the pure milk of his word. And I love those two examples. Because babies drink milk, they need pure milk. And adults eat meat, they need pure meat. And the gospel is as good for the new Christian as it is for the mature. Because it's the life life for the believer. Martin Luther said this, that the process of growing in the Christian life is to begin again and again over and over again. To go back to the grace of God and allow that to change everything about you. So whether you're starting off in faith or whether you're growing in faith, the gospel is what changes us. It's not the ABCs of Christianity. It's the A through Z. The gospel is not the diving board. It's the pool itself. And Jephthah got in trouble when he got out of God's word and he tried to take things in his own hands. And God says, run to me. Trust me. Hide in my word. and Watch what I can do. Thanks again for listening to the Freedom Church podcast. We hope that you were inspired and motivated to continue to grow in your faith. Don't forget to subscribe and share with others.